Hi guys and welcome to the next episode of uh, Moon or Margate. Um, I think up to this point I've tried to keep things pretty upbeat, uh, what's going on in the market, news, opportunities for trading, that kind of stuff, but I kind of wanted to take a little bit of a step back and this one is going to be a little bit heavier. So if you bear with me, I'm going to try and keep my uh, positioning quite short and concise as best as I can, but I felt I needed to record an episode talking about money. Um, your money more specifically, and your money that you think is probably very safe in your bank, uh, because that's a much safer place than putting it under your mattress. And actually, the reason why I wanted to do this podcast or do this topic was um, I was talking to a good friend yesterday who's actually started to take cash out of the bank uh, and to stick it in boxes uh, in his house. So, of course, I'm not going to tell you who it is because he's got little boxes of cash in his house. But he's very concerned about what's coming uh, over the next couple of years. Uh, And I thought I would do a little bit of a summary about what his fears are and what that looks like in a global context. So I want to start by just talking about what's happening in the markets today. So we are at a point where we've had quite a good amount of prosperity following the 2008 crash. Of course, we all know that the 2008 crash was created by this debt bubble, which was in subprime mortgages. So we were creating more money, lending the money to people to buy houses to stimulate the economy. Those people then got to a point where they couldn't afford to pay those houses back. That created bad debt. Then the banks and the markets got really naughty and they packaged that bad debt into uh, bonds and hid them in lots of things and then you know, provided that out to the market to buy. So our high street banks were buying these really bad um, pockets of debt that seem to have amazing return on them, but everybody really knew that they would never get paid back. So the bank has got their bonuses, and the government effectively bailed out the banks uh, by taking taxpayers' money to pay for the banks. That was back in 2008. I don't need to cover too much detail of that. If you uh, are not really uh, au fait with the story, I would suggest that you go to um, a film called The Big Short uh, and watch that because that's kind of typifies it absolutely perfectly. So um, let's go back there. So um, that's just finished. And the way that was generated and the way that came about was um, uh, this overpackaging of debt for stimulation. So I do want to talk a bit about how money is created in debt within this. But the reason I want to talk about this now is because there's a lot of conversations happening around debt still sorry, debt still being there. So the debt crisis coming back. Now, this isn't the debt within subprime mortgages, because that was kind of dealt with. Uh, But the new debt crisis uh, everybody's pointing towards is emerging country debt. So it might surprise you, or it might not, that since uh, the uh, 2008 crash, over $100 trillion in additional debt has been created to stimulate the world economy. So how do you keep the wheels turning? You put more money in circulation. So there's two ways to put more money in circulation. One way is for the central banks to issue more money. um, uh, And that goes out and in the form of bonds and gets loaded out and then people have got money to spend. The other thing is done at a country level, which is called quantitative easing, where we print more money. Um, So we go and print more pounds or more dollars, and that devalues our currency down. So one is at a country level, and one is kind of much more at a global scale with with the World Bank. So there's two ways to create more debt uh, debt is like a, it's like some balancing scales, right? So you increase debt on one side, that increases money circulation on the other. That money then goes into circulation, and that's all fine as long as people can pay the debt back. But where we are today is we've had an unprecedented growth uh, in um, 
the stock markets. So the Dow Jones has been on one hell of a run that is parabolic uh, and it hasn't had a reset you know, since 2008. So that's kind of coming. Um, we've also seen GDP increasing, but and, and a, a not such good measure is GDP globally has been intra- increasing, but the mean average salary has been stayed actually stayed the same since 2008. So you can see that actually that growth has been funded through debt because it's not through productivity gains or earnings or stuff like that. So the problem has been this over $100 trillion in debt has been created and lent you know, in a, in a big part out to emerging countries uh, in the form of debt bonds, and uh, they're then stimulating the economy. But the problem is they're now starting to struggle to pay it back. Um, and when they start to struggle to pay it back, what they do is they create more currency to then go pay it back. And we've seen some really bad instances, particularly Venezuela, with hyperinflation. Um, I suggest you go do your own research on this because there is lots of countries that are now starting to face currency crises where their currency is being devalued. And it's because they're having to make more currency to pay back this debt. Um, The latest piece that I read was on um, Africa, for example. So the next there's a big load of concern over Zambia next. So, you know, in the last six years alone, the sub-Saharan deserts have issued 61 billion dollars of bonds um, which is extra debt that investors have been you know buying up because they think bonds are very secure you know bond yields are at 16 percent, which is another sign that this isn't good debt because if it's paying you really really high then that's not necessarily a really good sign because it probably means it's riskier than you think you know and this is taking up a big part of their uh, gdp so you know i think zambia has just taken on a new debt that equates to 59% of their GDP. You know, that's not 59% of what they make. That's 59% of their total turnover um, as a portion of uh, the, um, uh, uh, you know, the whole, you know, everything that the country, you know, takes. So that's absolutely incredible. That's you. That's like the equivalent of you saying, you know, I earn, you know, $100,000 a year and I take out a $69,000 loan against my earnings of $100,000, ignoring the fact that that $100,000 has got to go to pay for lots of things, your house, your car, you know, your kid's school, your health care, your, um, um, uh, you know, uh, your food and all those kind of things, right? So what's been happening is, you know, more and more debt has actually been loaded on the emerging countries. So Brazil is another example where 76% um, their debt, sorry, is equivalent to 76% of their GDP. South Africa, it's 59%. Um, uh, Colombia, it's 39%. You know, there is, there are, you know, a big load of debt has been laid down. So what I'm kind of trying to say here is that the previous debt bubble was created through the sublime mortgages, but we have been artificially creating a new debt bubble to stimulate economies. But of course, at some point, that debt's going to have to be paid back. And this is what we're starting to see now in the end, you know, coming towards the end of 2008, is that countries are struggling to pay it back. So the question then is, who is going to cover the debt loss, right? Because last time it was our government um, and our governments did a bailout. And, you know, in a lot of cases, they took the money from us, but in a different way. So they didn't come and take money from us. What they did was devalued every piece of money that we had by creating new money to effectively bail out the banks. Now, I don't think that can happen again. I don't think they can play that trick twice, but they've actually got a new trick to try on us. And that isn't called a bailout. That's called a bail-in. So this podcast is effectively about 
the challenges of the world economy right now with rising debt and what the hell is a bail-in. And if you don't know what a bail-in is, I, I really hope you continue to carry on listening. And then we'll, we'll give it some context in terms of, you know, the impact on the cryptoverse in a little bit. But this isn't so much about cryptocurrency as a safe haven for money as where should you be worried about where your money is at the moment. So what I want to do is give you a very brief history lesson. Um, and that is a history lesson of money. Right. So um, I've got an amazing book uh, called Debt. I'm just looking. It's on my shelf, actually. Um, oh, my God. Who wrote it? I'll put it in the notes. So brilliant book called Debt, which just talks about how uh, money came about. And money effectively comes about by debt, right? So, you know, um, it used to be shekels. You know, a shekel was a twelfth of a bale of hay. You know, stocks were effectively a piece of wood that were carved on it that got cut out. So, you know, and, you know, there's this current argument that barter never really happened, but it was like equivalence. So some countries it was equivalent for bales of hay, which was a shekel. So, you know, uh, Asia, it was equivalent for bowls of rice, but you just had something that made an equivalence. But mainstream money came you know into being um or the modern financial system came into being really with the invention of uh, the bank of england so maybe something that us british should be apologizing for so um uh let's just go back in time slightly and i'll try and cover this quite quickly because you can go do your own research and read up on it of course so what happened was in the late 17th century um uh the uk got its ass royally kicked by the french um, at the Battle of Beachy Head, and that became um, a really negative impact on us because we had, you know, very little credit. You know, I think the king was King William III at this point. So we'd spent all the public funds trying to fight the French. We had limited credit. So we had no idea how to go forward. Now, what then happened was this really bright banker, yes, I said banker, uh, called William Patterson, he actually came in with a proposal and said, what we need to do is we need to have money to stimulate our economy, but you don't have any. So what we have to do is create debt. So if we make debt, that creates money we can put in circulation. So so William Patterson lent uh, the crown um, uh, some money. It was, uh, I think it was a million pounds at the day. So you can imagine quite how much that was. So he invented money into the circulation, put into lent the crown a million pounds um, at a rate of six percent return per management uh, per annum, plus a five thousand pound a year management fee, and this was the right of note issue. So in effect, what it did was it gave a private banker the exclusive possession of all of the government's pal uh, uh, balances and the right to put money into circulation. Um, I think in the end, it went through some revisions that ended up at £1.2 million or something like that. But in effect, the Bank of England was therefore created. This was not a government-owned thing. This wasn't a country thing. This was a completely privately owned bank by private shareholders who started the monetary economy by lending some money, a huge return, and that enabled them to create debt within the crown so that could put the money in circulation. So this is a this is a real thing that happened. So this is not a story. This is fact. The Bank of England is not owned by you and me. Uh, it is owned by some private bankers. And I dare you. Well, no, dare. That's probably the wrong word. I challenge you to come find out who the shareholders are. Do that for me, please. I'm at Jason Creation on Twitter. Go find out and let me know because I've kind of been looking um, and I can't find out. So in a world of freedom of information, in a world of GDPR, in a world of, you know, all that kind of stuff, I cannot find out who owns the Bank of England. 
because um, it's not the people. And you know that if it was the people, it would appear on our balance sheet and our GDP. It would be very profitable and that would help pay for hospitals, schools and all this kind of stuff. But you know what? It isn't. It's completely private and they've got us by the balls. So Bank of England was created back then, privately owned company that was therefore commissioned to put notes into circulation backed by this £1.2 million. And at the time, that was based around the gold standard and stuff like that, which, of course, over time has gone as well. So if you then wind forward from Bank of England about 100 years, the US, so in the late 1700s now, the US came under severe financial distress as well. So a way to then um, uh, sort their finances out uh, was they turned to a guy called Robert Morris, um, and Morris was elected superintendent of finance, and he advocated for the creation of a privately owned central bank, effectively taking what was the Bank of England blueprint uh, and to put it into the US. Um, and that happened. Uh, that all got ratified. It all went through. And that was effectively the invention of the Federal Reserve. So the Fed. So again, the Fed came about in the same way that the Bank of England came about as a privately owned thing. So, again, I would encourage you um, to go find out who owns the Fed. It's not the people of America. It's not the U.S. government. You know, it is a privately owned bank. So we'll now wind on to modern day. Right. So is it any surprise in this? There's lots written on this. So please go find out about, you know, what happened and then how it was based on the gold standard and then how uh, in the early 1900s they abandoned the gold standard and you know what that's effectively changed so you know getting rid of things like the gold standards effectively meant that um your money isn't backed by anything so you know it's all banked by trust backed by trust but it's not trust in the government it's trust in a privately entity bank the central bank why do you think that after 2008 all of the fraud that happened all of the fraud that happened what happened was they all got bailed out and nobody went to jail. Nobody appeared in court. We just bailed them all out. And it's because they're kind of running the show, right? So now, this isn't me coming on a big conspiracy theorist, right? And you can be like, oh, no, but I'm quite happy. And, you know, I get to pay my bills and do my job. And I love banks and all that kind of stuff, right? But I wanted the point of this is to tell you a little bit of history to bring you up to where we are today. So uh, I said that we were going to talk about um, what a bail-in is. So uh, let's just recap. Uh, because we are, I've been ranting now for about 15 minutes. So let me give your brain a bit of a break, right? So I talked about uh, go research uh, emerging country debt uh, and what's happening in Venezuela uh, and countries of the like that are facing hyperinflation. And why is that? Because they're having to uh, pay uh, the debt back. So they're printing more money. Um, go and look at how the Bank of England was set up and how the Fed was set up. And I encourage you to go and uh, investigate. Um, the shareholders for those. So good luck for that. I would also, just because it's an interesting exercise, I would go and Google or uh, use Quant because that doesn't sell your data. I would go and search for which countries don't have a central bank in them. Um, and then Google which, where, which countries have political unrest uh, and uh, look at where countries have had central banks installed uh, over the last 20 years and correlate that to where there's been political unrest. So that's another uh, eye-opening moment for you to go and have a look at. So uh, another debt crisis coming. You know, smart people are saying end of 2019, early 2020, there's going to be a, a bit of a reset and a crash of the financial system. 
I don't know. All I know is that debt has been rising. I'm not a financial expert. This is not financial advice. So, but go do some research yourself. Uh, and of course, go and look at our banking system. And what you do know, because it affected everybody, is back in 2008, when there was the last um, crisis, uh, the banks got bailed out. And the banks got bailed out by us through devaluing of money. Now, like I said earlier, I'm not sure that could happen again because I'm not sure they'd get away with it again. And nobody wants banks to fail because the central banks need those banks because they're the you know little fingers off the end of these big hands that are getting the money out and into circulation. So what's happened, um, and this happened back in 2013, is a whole new template for dealing this was set out. And you could say it was a uh, trial run of a new thing called a bail-in. And this is the thing that terrifies me. So um, whether you're aware or not, maybe you are, that back in um, 2012, um, Cyprus hit a really big issue with regards to budget. So Cyprus is part of the European Union. So it reached out to the European Union and said, we really need help. Okay. Um, now, in the past, what's happened is there's been a bailout. And in fact, Cyprus formally requested, so this is all the way back in June 2012, they requested a bailout. Um, but what happened was this was engineered and tested to, to launch this thing called a bail-in. So let me explain the difference. So a bail-in isn't where somebody comes in and lends you money because that might compound the problem. A bail-in is a way for the country to seize money from its um sees money from the sovereign nation. So they can put their hands into, or they did put their hands into everybody's bank accounts. Uh, now what happened was because this had never been done before, and because this was sorry, just a cup of tea, and because this had never been done before, um, because it literally was um, a uh, a test run. What happened was it had to go to their parliament, and it had to be debated, and they had to vote on this bailout slash bail-in proposal, and uh, the bail-in got agreed. So um, what happened was it allowed the separate government to do two things the first thing it was it allowed them to do was to control people's withdrawal of cash so i think what happened was they had they had this 10-day window where they could you couldn't withdraw any money from the bank so you couldn't have a run on the bank and then they had a hundred euro a day limit by by person to take money out and i've read many stories of people actually traveling abroad to use cash points to get money out because there weren't the limits when they're abroad but when they were back in cyprus they could only get 100 euros a day out of the uh, the cash point no matter how much money you had in the bank and then here's the kicker anybody with a hundred thousand euros in assets in their bank savings current accounts those depositors lost 40 percent of their money if they're in the Bank of Cyprus, or 60% of the money if they're in the other bank, which is called Laki, L-A-I-K-I. I apologize to any Cypriots who might be listening to this, right? So, um, and there also was a 6.75% confiscation in any accounts under a hundred thousand euros. So this is this this was the new model. So of course, this was a country in financial crisis, but what they did was instead of printing more money to then pay off the debt, what they did was they effectively stole the money from every Cypriot. They froze their bank accounts. They put their money into their uh, accounts uh, and it enabled them to take them out. Now, you might be saying, oh, my God, like, how did the people allow that? The thing that's even more incredible is 
they re-voted the same government in afterwards. So I'm not sure when the people wake up to this being bad. But, you know, you're thinking about Cyprus. Some of you might be thinking, well, where is Cyprus? It's a beautiful little island. Um, really nice place to go on holiday. They really need your money. So so please go visit, right? But um, especially flat golf. But um, this is something that happened in Cyprus. But it's not just Cyprus. So since the Cypriot uh, crash, almost every country with a central bank has been instigating legislation to allow them to seize their money. And this includes the United Kingdom, the US, Germany, New Zealand, Canada, and more. Please go read. So um, this is this for me is part of what I think is a big concern is that our government and I'm uh, British, I'm in the UK. Uh, if you're in the US, this applies to you completely. Um, under these new rules, um, account to assess whether they need that money and how much of that money we're allowed and to arbitrarily withdraw or to apply a rule to take money away for us to pay for any banking problems. So, I mean, if you're not, if this doesn't terrify you, you should be. So, you know, back to my story right at the beginning. So I was talking to a friend yesterday who was literally stuffing pound notes into his, um, mattress right so that's why he's doing it so he's thinking if there's a run on it or if there's a problem at least i've got cash so yeah i might keep more money in my bank but at least i've got money in my house to go buy bread and stuff like that so i don't believe in the very developed countries we are going to have a huge amount of hyperinflation i think but i do think the risk of you know bank accounts being frozen and money being taken is a big issue um coupled with that a lot of people thinking that they, the central banks want to artificially support this crash to be able to instigate a new banking standard um, 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 called an SDR, a special drawing rights, um, uh, which would be maybe there's a rumor that it could be crypto backed and that crypto could be XRP. Uh, but again, that's a whole other podcast for us to talk about. So um, there seems to be this feeling that um, this debt crisis plus the central banks wanting to be less dependent on cash, um, having a run on cash could be quite a good thing. And taking money off cash could be quite a good thing. So, of course, if this happens, the negative impact is going to be your money is going to be worth less. You might not be able to access your money. And the worst case is that your government can take that money off you. And of course, I'm not just talking about the very small countries that are got terrible debt issues. Every other country has these debt issues, right? So, Japan, I think their debt is almost two times their GDP. The US, their debt is over 100% of their GDP. United Kingdom, our debt is 85% of our GDP. So if you heard me talk about those numbers earlier about Brazil being 75%, yes, that's not good. But actually, the developed markets are even worse. You know, the whole of the Eurozone as an average is the same as the UK, which is about 85%. Obviously, some countries are higher, some countries uh, are lower. The hardest hit countries so far have been Argentina, uh, obviously Venezuela, but uh, Argentina, Turkey, and Brazil. Um, and what's interesting in the case of Venezuela is they've actually gone to uh, cryptocurrency as a solution for them. So they've created, they've effectively tokenized their oil reserves, uh, and they're calling that the Petro. And they're announced that they're going to be pegging their local currency to the Petro. So now people are talking about how much a chicken costs in Petro, how much a you know uh, a pint of milk costs in Petro. So you can see that there is already this test of can we switch switch to a crypto 
standardized currency. Uh, uh, not necessarily that you used to pay for things, uh, but to replace what was the gold standard to bring some stability back to banking. So sorry to be all doom and gloom, guys. Um, there has been some exciting news in the crypto space, which I'll record another episode for later. Um, but I did want to take a pause about all this kind of stuff to think about um, what is happening with the banks. So I guess, what am I doing personally? So in protection of my family, I am kind of hedging where I store some money. So I put some in some Bitcoin. Um, I'm actively looking towards uh, banks that are built on the blockchain where we have more control. Uh, so there's a really great project called BAB, B-A-B-B, that has a token called BAX, uh, and that's going to be launching next year um, completely on a blockchain where this stuff can't happen and they can't come and take your money. Uh, the other option, of course, is to look at uh, crypto storage cards. So uh, places, uh, I mean, two two great cards that I talk about in my course. So um, if you want to learn about those, please click and register the course. It's completely free. Uh, but to the course, I, I talk about two um, cards in my course that allow you to put money on at the beginning of each month. Uh, and then you can just use that. It's a Visa compatible card. And then you can just spend that money during the month. So it's a bit like a charge card, but you're keeping your effective you know, you're keeping your money safe. It's not like having cash notes to shove under your, um, you know, in a shoebox or uh, into your mattress. You know, it's still in a system, but it's not in a banking system. It's in a credit-based system, and you can load money on. And in fact, one of those you can actually get cash back in Bitcoin for everything you spend. So even if you just put your, you know, disposable income on that card at the beginning of the month, you know, and whatever you don't spend at the end, you can either save or convert to crypto. But uh, even when you're just spending, you can get cash back. So um, uh, if you want to get more details on that, I have a uh, course specifically on that topic uh, in my Getting Started in Crypto course, uh, which I'll drop in the link for the bio for this podcast. So I hope that was good. Uh, I hope that was interesting. Sorry, good. Sorry. I hope that was interesting and has given you a little bit of a window onto the world of the financial system. And certainly the next thing you should be doing when you get a break is going Googling those things, right? So go find out, go learn, educate yourself, and then think about what are the best steps for you and your family to protect your current wealth? Because so much in crypto, we're thinking about going to the moon and, you know, investing $100 and turning into $10,000, right? So much of that is like that. But actually, what about the $100 that you're not investing that you want to keep safe in your bank? How can we make that a safe haven? Um, so I would encourage you to go do some more research, do some thinking. Please look out for the next episode because I've got some great news coming on some of my favorite crypto. And we're really excited about how the year is going to close in the market. Enjoy the rest of your day.